This is Lindsay and Megan, and this the name of this podcast is called It's, it's All, All Over, Over the, the Place. Place. <laughs> this is episode three, and um, well, this episode is all over the place. Yeah, basically. Yeah, this is um, I guess the the sort of center point of this whole thing is that Lindsay and I this weekend went out. Or last weekend, I guess it is now. Went out to a Halloween-themed queer dance night. And Portland. we did this kind of at the last minute because Megan had lost her phone. And I showed, <laughs> I showed up at her house randomly. Which was, <laughs> which was actually, it was really like old. It was like 1999. Like people showing up at your house <laughs> to like say hey. Because, I hope it was because, yeah, less creepy and more, no, more awesome. It was awesome. I, was, I felt like I was like 12 years old again. And like, uh, you know what you have to, you had to actually like stop by and like. Because people, people didn't have cell phones because they were 12. Yeah. <laughs> also because they didn't exist. But yes, it was it was rad. I, like, I was just like, you know, I actually had this thought where I was like, I am, I am really, it, I wish that like people felt like you could just stop by and say hey now because I feel like everything is really, but this, this is, this is, I guess, a side This is all conversation. Green light. Yeah. Um, the box hunter. <laughs> no, the box social. It's a. It's a. It's actually a pretty rad bar in um in North Portland that uh, yeah is a uh, has good cocktails. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we there. had some good cocktails. Yeah. So the setup of so so the first we're gonna talk about what four main topics and we're gonna yeah inner kind of inner whoa that is really warm. Yeah, let's go to the 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 lesser setting. Oh, is that one? Ooh, that we don't better? need that, girl. I guess we don't need that after all. Yeah, you can't feel this, it's but it's putting like, out some heat. Yeah, we don't need any more heat. It's so hot in here. I'm gonna take off all oh, your clothes. clothes. Um, what about that? Is that better? No, it's yeah, still. that's that's a little better. Okay, here I'm gonna put. So maybe it wouldn't. It would help if it wasn't like on. Oh, you're back. like it's like it's like getting real up close and personal with you. So the hey. so hey girl, hey girl, <laughs> the <laughs> So we decided to go to an event in Portland called Blue Pony, and some of you may know about it. We were just we randomly decided to go for Halloween and. Megan was a vegan zombie. I I don't know what I was. You were I, the spirit of Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras, yeah. And we interviewed a bunch of people, and honestly, whoa, it was all over the place. But it was very interesting, and it was very interesting getting people's points of view. And so we ended up. We have four basically kind of uh, topics that we're going to explore tonight. And the first one is spaces in queer culture. The second is class yes. issues, mm-hmm. like um, pretty much, well, that pretty much sums that up. Yeah. Going back to the enjoyment of obje- objectification and coping, mm-hmm. which is kind of yeah, interrelated. It, yes, yes, it is. Yeah. And then going back to longing 
Yeah, it, it, love. Oh, it stops. <laughs> well, yeah, it'll stop. It'll when it gets to a certain oh, okay. point. Yeah, so it's <gasps> the space heater. The space heater. Is, um, yeah. The frontal lobe awareness, love versus rationality, and heart chakra versus solar, solar plexus. plexus. Yeah. Um, and so we're gonna start with spaces of queer culture. I just moved the whole couch. Um, which is we were just. Yeah, I guess um, what prompted um our our like interest in this was that we got a pretty some I guess it was something that we kind of drew out of the interviews that was a common theme of people that we happened to run across people that did not typically attend this event right. or go to like what you would call the typical queer dance nights and they were there probably because it was a holiday you know people yes. you know people you'll go out on a holiday when you wouldn't usually go out every month on this thing and so we got um these people that sort of had this less more outsider perspective and were I guess a little bit more critical of mm-hmm. of the whole queer dance scene um then we probably would have gotten if we had gone on just a regular old like blow pony on like you know next month or something so right and there was also this dynamic of it that um well just the spaces of queer culture Mm -hmm. and when we were there we kind of um it's kind of interesting because we yes blow we talked about performativity we almost did this podcast on performativity and how we perform ourselves and our gender but it's really interesting because blow pony is kind of a place where maybe people go to be seen. We, we, I mean, I think that our interviews kind of, as they're intermittently dispersed throughout this, kind of show this. Yes. Um, but one of the things that came up was just the history of how bars have traditionally been such a part of queer culture. Right. Mm-hmm. And what that means, um, you know, what that means for, I mean, it's like, does the space kind of create the culture or does mm-hmm. the culture you know create the space and mm-hmm. I think that there is um there's a lot of you know there I mean there's a lot of um of talk about how you know queer people tend we tend to be there's higher rates of alcoholism drug use like you know a lot of sort of more negative things that you associate with you know with bar culture that yeah. um that queer people tend to have and it's it's an interesting idea to think about is this because so much of queer culture has historically been involved in spaces like bars or is it something that is like a coping strategy that queer people have in a higher you know in a higher rate because of being a marginalized culture mm-hmm. it's hard to say if it's mm-hmm. the space or if it's just like another aspect of that but you know i think it definitely affects you know, queer culture. So if you're, if you're a queer person that say doesn't like to, is, is sober, right. and doesn't feel comfortable in bars, then like, how would you even meet people other than OkCupid? Which <laughs> like, is another topic of discussion. Yeah. I like to call OkCupid, okay, stupid. Personally. I've seen that around. I've heard really? people well, calling that. I was the one that you came up that? with it. Oh, okay. I sure did. It's good to meet you. I, Hi. I, I admire that expression. Good Thank job. you. Yeah. I'm trying to, I know I'm like, multitasking right now but i'm trying to get that article ready okay yeah um yeah but but anyways you know i think that for me well you know to get a little bit real um my my relationship with alcohol is is complicated (laughs) shall we say yeah we can go in we can go there yeah so you know i i come from a family that has a, a large history on both sides my mother's and my father's of alcoholism and so I have not really been super, super comfortable 
you know, drinking. I guess drinking is always a loaded thing. It's never just like something you do for fun. So I, I do find, I do feel like I do find it sort of unfortunate. I, I guess it's not. Sometimes I would just like to meet queer people without without drinking. drinking. You know, I would like to do that without drinking. But you can you know. always go to an AA meeting <laughs> and meet someone that may or may not resemble a gremlin and may or may not attack your neck. It's true. Just saying um, that. I don't know if I. That sounds super fun. I would no, love to do that. Um, <laughs> but you know, I guess I. You know, it would be nice. Like I would love to. Like for instance, maybe. Not even without drinking, but just not in a bar. Like, I guess, like, it would be cool to, like, have... You know what I really would love, and this is incredibly nerdy of me, but just, like, a bunch of people getting together and having something like a salon, where it's, like, people that are getting together to talk about things or have, like, an issue or something that they want to discuss that might have alcohol involved, but, like, that's not the main... The main sort of, like, I guess, reason why people are getting together is to talk to one another mm-hmm. and to, like, meet people that have interesting oh. or different opinions. Like a queer salon, that would be great. Yeah. But instead, we don't have that. We have, you know, we've got... Blow Pony. Blow Pony. <laughs> so the con... Yeah. And so the context of Blow Pony. So we... This came up in our interviews throughout that evening, mm-hmm. and we had someone bring up the fact that... Um, there's this history of bars like we were talking yeah. about and uh-huh. how this is the way to commute. And this woman in particular said that she would really like to see queer people come together in health and that this bar culture was just one aspect of the community. And like Megan had mentioned earlier, Blow Pony this particular evening was um, a lot of people that may not normally be there. Yeah. And not that Megan and I go religiously or <laughs> no, anything like that. Yeah. But it does have some aspects that are very interesting. And it did certainly seem like we had some people there that may not have necessarily been there. Um, just, to, I don't know. It was like different circumstances, yes. I feel like, than normal. Right. And so, um, okay, so there's a lot of noise out here, but that's okay. We just got to speak directly. This is Lindsay. This is Megan. And who are you? I'm Angela. Okay, excellent. So you're at Blow Party tonight. I am. And you're dressed. What is your costume this evening? It's not anything in particular. I didn't come up with a fancy name. I just had a few things laying around and put on what I could. Right. Well, you didn't have to buy anything. You just came up. No, no. I just had it lying around. Yeah. Do you feel pretty happy with Blow Pony in general? It's been an interesting evening for me. There's been a lot of high emotions with my friends. Oh, really? So that's been sort of my focus for the evening. I just got here a little while ago, and I've danced a little bit, and it's been fun, but a lot of intense stuff has come up, which, you know, is partially through being here. So it's it's all good. Yeah. I think that this... Oh. Do you usually go to Blow Plenty, or is this one of your first I've been here a few times. Um, I don't actually go out very often. Okay. Or at least not to dance parties. Right. I think this place can stir up things sometimes. There's a lot of people, a lot of energy, maybe? High energy, high intensity, lots of emotions. It definitely brings things up. And it's, oh goodness, hello. <laughs> There's a lot of pushing happening. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me a lot of being younger. I, I have not gone out for a lot of years. I'm in my 30s at this point. Right. I went out a lot when I was in my 20s. Yeah. And I don't know. It just... Sleep is important. I'm 30. I understand. I'm, like, making that shift right now. I'm like, yeah, I'd rather be 
he's sleeping. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. I actually am um, I'm on call for a birth right now, so I've got my phone here and I'm waiting, waiting to go, waiting for the call to go and deliver a baby. Are you a midwife? I am a midwife. Okay. And, uh, yeah. That's pretty cool. So Halloween Eve, dressed up, this baby's gonna come into the world with this outfit. <laughs> That's awesome. And just for like for people who are curious, you're wearing some white hair accents and then a really rockin' black dress with some a lot of like rustling and it looks really rad. Just for people that are curious. Yes. Thanks so much for interviewing with us though. I hope you have a very happy Halloween. Thank you. It's nice Is to meet it? you. Is yeah. there anything else that you want to tell like our listeners about yourself or this evening or mentioning that this is about queer culture. Yes. 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 We would love to hear your thoughts about that. Well, it's interesting. This is queer culture in the sense of the bar queer culture. Right. Which has been historically how queers meet. Yes. And I am more in the queer culture that is surrounding health care. Yes. That's my world. So it's, it's an interesting place to be, you know. This is where people are smoking and drinking, and this is how they gather. This is how they come together. And I am very much in a place where I hope people can come together in culture, in 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 uh, in health. It's really important for queer people and taking care of each other because we're all coming from places of rejection from family, rejection from society, and isolation. And isolation. And that's why people do it so much. I know. It is. It totally is. But if we can come together and find each other and give each other solace instead of finding solace and drinking and smoking, I think we'll be a better community for it. Yeah. <laughs> and then we, we also had that the that other person that said that they had not been out for like it seemed almost seemed like they'd been like a decade long recluse where they were like they hadn't gone out for about Is ten this years. The person that was gonna wake up in his clothes the yes. next day. Okay. Yes. Hey. Yeah, yeah, he hadn't he, he he said that he used to go out in his twenties and then he was about, you know, in his thirties now and didn't was really that go out. Not the same woman? I no, it was a guy. Oh I, I think it was oh. a guy. Okay. Yeah. Um but anyway, but they, they said that like they had kind of this was like a special occasion where it's kind of and it's another weird thing where I feel like this is maybe not queer related but the fact that it's kind of funny that people when when there's a holiday you feel this extra pressure to like go out and like make it a time yeah and like make it a time and get drunk which is this is probably something about American culture less to do with queer culture but was kind Mm -hmm. of interesting where like this person had you know, decided that they were going to, like, go to Blow Pony and have a great time because it was Halloween. And this weird pressure to, like, do something with the holiday where you can't, like, if you just, like, spend the entire weekend in your pajamas, like, you know, whatever, eating pumpkin pie, then there'd be something wrong with you. It'd be, there'd be something wrong from Trader Joe's. There'd be something incredibly wrong with you. And, but that's, this isn't really a queer culture thing. It's just sort of a holiday thing. Well, yeah, but, but given that queer culture Given the bar history of the queer culture, which is our next leeway, actually, it does really. I mean, in the sense that, so just to give you an idea, these interviews that we went to, Blow Pony is kind of, it's this event in the industrial district of Southeast Portland. And if you don't live here, we're divided into several quadrants in the Southeast is south of Burnside and east of the river. And this one area, it's very industrial. Is that an event called Retouré, which I never pronounced right, but I did that you one should. time. I bet. Thank you. 
hand hug. Oh, wrong hand. <laughs> and then there's like a patio, which is where we did the majority of the interviews that's outside that overlooks kind of like a made in Portland sign with oh, a deer yeah. on it. Uh-huh. And it's really cool. It's very urban, which is really good to be around, I think, during this time. And, and um, it's, it's a cool, but just to give you an idea, and it's packed full of people. And the other thing about Blue Pony that, and this event in particular that was really in- interesting was that it's very gender neutral for the most part. Like, I wouldn't say it's, like, particularly lesbian or particular anything. It's There's a lot of gay men, a lot of in-betweens, a lot of whatever. And so this was the event we chose to kind of explore um, randomly when we got in the car and went. Hi, we're here. This is Lindsay. I just want to ask, that's the question I have for you, because I was going to ask, because you're covered in glitter, I was wondering if the unicorn actually did piss or shit all over you. Wow. Wow, wait till wait. That's a shimmer I've never seen on skin before naturally. It's unbelievable. He's like well, a vampire, but beautiful. I am a nymph, so. <laughs> you're a nymph. Wait, wait, can we ask what you are? What are you? I, uh, that's, that's in the eye of the beholder. Please but, say you're an aspiring artist. I'm not an aspiring artist. What well, can I just say on the podcast? Uh, I'm already an artist. Oh, I, I thought just, you did. I just love coming to Blow Pony. It's the one night I don't miss. Yes. come out every night. I live about 50 miles south from here in Salem. And you come out to Blow Pony. I, I travel 50 miles, 100, <laughs> there and back. Wow, that's pretty dedicated. What do you think it is about Blow Pony? Do you think it's the, the, the view of the Made in Portland sign? Or what do you think it is about Blow Pony that gets you out here? It's the lowered inhibitions. You can do anything you want, and you're not going to get judged. Yeah. Mostly compliments. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that there's, like, an equal amount of all genders Um, here, too. I really love that. Absolutely. It's a melting pot, and that's what I love about it. Me, too. Well, you have a lovely night. You're covered in glitter. Thank you. Thank you. My name's Christopher Miranda. I'll be here all week. Awesome. (laughs) Bye-bye. This kind of goes into like the history of bars being such a primary part of queer culture. And because Megan and I wanted to get an idea of people's opinions on certain things that are all over the place, (laughs) we didn't want to go to like PSU or or anything like that or random people on the street. We wanted to go to a queer specific event, which Blow Pony um, was that event for this idea, which kind of goes into the idea of, well, we're going to leeway into class. Um, Yeah, right. Where, why, okay, one of the things that, you know, Lindsay and I are not, like, the richest people ever, Mm -hmm. and so one of the things that is, when we're figuring, when you're figuring out what you want to do, like, in a week, you're like, okay, you have a very, you have a limited budget, and pretty much, one of the things about being in queer culture is that you can't just, like, necessarily, like, it's not free, I suppose. Very, very right. rarely is being in something that is queer Like, for example, free. The, right, the Pride events, for example. Yeah. There were all these parties, and they were, like, hella dollars. And yeah. I'm like, what lesbian can afford this? Seriously. <laughs> you got women making 70-something cents to the dollar and then two of them together. Like, yeah. what does that equal? Like, yeah. Sixty cents less than it yeah. would be. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there. It's definitely a class issue. Yeah, and you know, like this is not not that blow pony is like. And the thing is, it's not like we're like ragging on blow pony. No, so no. It's just it isn't. It isn't anything to do with this event. It's just interesting that like 
one of the things that because one of the ways that queer culture is in bars and pretty much all of these nights where they're, and there's not really, since we don't have like a really huge selection of queer bars, like, or at least, eh, not really. No, I there's mean, events. There's events. We have it's events like, in Portland. Um, way to be efficient. Out of all the queer events in Portland, yes, it's Halloween. Yes, we're all a little more loose than normal. Do you feel like Gold Pony is a pretty good event to go to out of the, you know? It's absolutely my favorite party. In this yeah, place. it's pretty cool. Do you have any other things in mind that you may want to mention that's queer Portland, or do you feel like pretty good about this? Um, I mean, I feel like Blow Pony's probably the best one to go to, but Bent and uh, Gaycation, all that stuff's really good. Too. Yeah, one thing you want to accomplish this evening, one thing. What's that? One thing that you want to get done this evening. It can be anything at all. Um, I want to be in bed by 4 a.m. Awesome. I'm from, well, you know, I'm from D.C. We have um, a lesbian bar called Phase 2. Um, one of the, It's the oldest, oldest lesbian bar in the country. And um, it is actually really interesting because, A, it's in a really, um, it's in a not very, well, right now, it, like, at the moment, it's, like, full of, um, like, you know, a lot of families and things. But when it first came about in, like, the 70s, it was, like, this weird kind of, like, not very nice neighborhood. And... And you, and if you didn't know it, you wouldn't. It's one of those interesting things about queer geography, which I really, I really think is very interesting. And where like you would, if you did not know it was a lesbian bar, you would have no idea because there are no windows looking into it. It has no windows. It's just like that's really common yeah. mm-hmm. for safety reasons. Yes, for safety reasons, and because it's such, it was such an older establishment, like it. Of course, it wouldn't have windows, and you would have honestly like no idea. And it's in this very, it's very unassuming. And mm-hmm. um, but it, I have, I spent a fair amount of time hanging out. Actually, I spent last New Year's at that at that bar. It's kind of funny. Um, but but it is. I mean, but it's it's kind of cool and kind of not cool. Like I can see the appeal of having like an event rather than a space because, you know, half the time you go to a space, it's like. Uh, you know, like you don't always have a good time when you go out to a bar, like a bar, but like going to an event usually, I don't know, maybe it's just like a different set of expectations. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, so like relating to this, just the class dynamics and the bar culture Mm -hmm. of queer culture, we, Meg and I just kind of, we were talking one night about just kind of like butch and femme culture and how that really, in a lot of ways, it's a very class related issue. Mm -hmm. just in the sense that like, you know, bar culture in the 50s was very, like, it could be very difficult for butch-identified women to find economic employment, and a lot of them ended up taking testosterone to be able to support themselves and live their lives as men, and a lot of femme-identified women ended up supporting these uh, butch-identified people through sex work, through selling drugs, and et cetera, underground things, and that, like, the code was the red... The, the painted fingernail, the pinky fingernail, like, code of I'm femme because femme women didn't traditionally have vision of vi- visibility within culture. And this is kind of a tangent, but not really, just because that kind of set up the framework for what the underground queer culture would be. And then when when it got more academic and in a way more, more visual and, mm-hmm. and of a different class, actually, than, like, not so much the lavender menace because there were plenty of like academic feminists in the 60s and 70s that you know they they just rejected men altogether but they also rejected things like you were talking about like the strap on sex and any form of penetration and Mm -hmm. anything that may mimic 
Um, Reinforced patriarchal, gendered, sexual, and romantic relationships. Right. And when we were talking about... Yeah. And when we were talking about this podcast, we did mention performativity. Mm -hmm. And I kind of went into Judith Butler's idea of, like, you can't... You cannot simulate heteronormativity, actually. Like, you cannot. Because you are by by nature queer because you automatically you inherently are subversive no matter what your intent is because you are of this nature which I mean it's it's a really interesting idea because I I I get where she's coming from with that and I get the heteronormative matrix and I get all of that but I also feel like there are people I think intention does matter and I feel like the intent of male and female um gender roles uh, a lot of times can be more queer than actually female to female or I don't know a lot of male to male that is not queer but female to whatever like you know opposite so-called sex or opposite whatever I'm putting that in quotations but just like dynamics that would automatically differentiate you from the norm and my point with that being so you're you're basically just saying that you think that Queerness is not necessarily that there are heterosexual, technically heterosexual relationships that are more queer than technically mm-hmm. queer relationships, and it all really queerness has more to queer relationship has more to do with how you are responding and reacting to the norms in terms of what a relationship and love and sex is. And what's rather than the the physical? Wait, wait, wait. What do you, what, what do you want to say about gender neutrality? Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Let's get back to that. Gender neutrality. I was actually I was about to ask uh, what the scene is here in Portland. It seems like a kind of a very like gender open what the place. Scene is, yes. What the scene is here in Which, Portland? It's all over the place. It is. It it's really. All over the place. If you're not a if you go on a date with somebody and they tell you that the you're all over. It's a compliment. It's a compliment. It is. So, like, those five guys actually like me? Yeah, apparently did. They did. It is actually a compliment. It's part of the game. I want to give your readers, uh, your your listeners, sorry, uh, something to look up, which is is, uh, Anarcho-Feminist. It's a blog on Tumblr, and it's uh, it's, uh, a good friend of mine, actually. His name is Stefano, and he's, like, super into gender neutrality. Like, he's so, uh, it's a a really awesome blog. He's into two things, actually, pornography and gender neutrality, and they're both together on the blog. It's amazing, so, but uh, uh, I support... support, Anarcho-Beautiful... Anarcho-Feminist. Anarcho-Feminist. Having a sexual orientation or like an identity where like instead of just saying I I like to fuck men or I I sleep with women or whatever, whatever it is, instead of coming from something coming from like an action or a behavior to an identity. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think that that whole time period, like, well, obviously it's been slowly developing for, like, the past century. But, you know, people slowly coming to the idea of having, like, not just have, like, um, queer behavior, but having a queer identity where you're kind of at a point where, like, you, the queer queer culture was sort of like, okay, where we want, like, people are coming into having an identity. And so having an identity meant that, like, having a relationship and, like, having, and, you know, how that, like, where it was, like, one of the, like, where as as queer people first were like, okay, we want to have actual relationships, not just like, 
like some random like a Boston a Boston marriage or whatever it was that like where you're kind of you have they they took like what they knew in terms of what society had and then that queer culture sort of was like okay this is what this is what we can start with or this is what society has and that they're kind of evolved like that queer culture has since sort of evolved and like this is the stuff that we like about this this is what we don't like and people but that it was kind of like the starting point of like figuring out how how to sort of relate to people in terms of a dating scene because there wasn't really like a dating scene like before right. that like I mean I guess there kind of was in a sense of like but not in, in a in a really like in a way that had like rules that like were the same or like you know could travel places where you could like yeah. like again I don't know I'm just kind of wondering if it's just maybe that it kind of started off that way just because that, that was like what people had to go on and like it was easier. I, I would I would almost think that like it was easier to be like, well, I'll pick one side or the other side because mm-hmm. then like Well it's always yeah. easier to pick right. a binary. It is. It is always right? easier to pick a binary. Then but, recognize like, the fluidity of it all. Well yes, it is. Binaries are always simpler if not true. They're obviously not accurate, but they're easier to deal with. But I mean if if maybe it was just sort of like a way to kind of um like it's like how you visually express yourself is almost like a it's like shorthand of being like this is a shorthand version of who I am like I'm gonna shorthand represent myself by like my presentation and then that will sort of vaguely vaguely allow you to sort of assume certain things about me and that so that will kind of lead to a better chance of us maybe fitting together because of the vague things that you your appearance is assuming to me I don't know and it's all sort of related to the fact that like everybody it's like people like like, the whole idea of being butch, it's, like, it only makes sense if you know what, like, what what a man is. If you, let's say, like, never knew what a man or a woman was, those things don't have any meaning. They only have a meaning in the sense that they are a, they are reacting and they're, reflecting. They're playing with power. Right, with, like, the whole idea of, like, they're what gender is. Yeah. You know, in... That. Yeah, I think um, I, I you know I think well here's here's an idea. So I sort of feel like a lot of people, at least if there's such a thing as an end game, should we say? And I'm I'm one of those people that kind of thinks about like the end result of things. Like, are we? Does the queer is the whole point of being queerness and like sex? You know, all that stuff like progress eventually moving to a point where everybody is pansexual. Or like omnisexual, or that gender gender and sex cease to matter, and that everybody can kind of I, I almost feel like that's kind of the end game. Where like eventually speaking, that's where where I think a lot of people would like to move society to, of being like people not necessarily taking people's gender or sex or whatever into account when it comes to their emotional or sexual or uh, romantic attraction. I mean, do you do you feel like maybe the person to ask that question to is you? Since you're gold star. Oh yeah, I am. I am a gold. I am what they call a gold star lesbian, which I've never. I like how I played that background too. I know. No, I mean it is. I mean it is a good thing. Um, I yeah. I I think the only time I've ever kissed. I, I've only ever kissed guys, and that was with like spin the bottle, spin the bottle games. That's it. I've never, in a non sort of situation like that, ever done anything sexual with a guy. Or someone who's male-identified, I should say. Um, male-bodied, male-identified, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, so that is my, that's my sexual history. And I think, um, 
And I actually struggled with that a lot where I was like, I actually, I really was like, I should date a guy. I really felt like weird. No, this is true. This is a true story. It's a true story, Lindsay. I I will, because, you know, I do, I I really, I, the identity of being queer really, I feel like I, I feel like that is me more than the identity of lesbian. But I sort of felt like if I wanted to identify as queer, I needed to um, at least give a lot of thought as to the possibility of, you know, at some point being romantically or sexually involved with someone who was, you know, male-identified or, you know, male-bodied, whatever it was, because of of labeling myself as queer and that my entire romantic history was with people who were female-bodied and female-gendered. So I, I sort of felt like I wasn't, that I needed to, that I needed, it was something that I needed to explore, that I should figure out or, like, try, and I never have, and it, it is something that I occasionally think about, of, like, should I do that? I know someone I could hook you up with. <laughs> wink. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> no. But, I'm all serious. I'm yeah. Like... No. <laughs> um, right, well, I mean, I don't know, and I think, but, you know, I would... I I guess it's and honestly for me I don't know if I mean who knows I mean who know you have no idea what your like where your path is in terms of the people you'll be connected to and how you'll be connected to or how that'll turn out but I do I would I do kind of like that idea I like the idea of one day society getting to a point where like you know everybody that that everyone is kind of pansexual or omnisexual no i like that idea too we're gonna talk about pansexual we were just asked if we knew what that was and we're here and someone's gonna talk about it i'm a nymph and i'm pansexual and what does that mean to you it means i don't look at the physical aspect of anyone i think about the spiritual mental and personality view of everyone and how did you kind of discover this part of yourself to be honest, I was always confused as to what I was until I realized what pansexuality was. And I realized that, like, I'm not physically attracted to anyone at all. You don't think there's any lust in you? Huh? There's no lust in you? To be honest, no. You're in that evolved state. I feel completely alienated, actually. You feel energy. Alienated. But when you are attracted to someone, is it because of their energy? Yeah, actually. Me too. Like, um, when I talk to someone, like, I'll know within the first five to ten minutes if I could be with them for the rest of my life. Wow. I don't know. I don't know how much. I mean, but I, I, I see what you're saying. Where I should put my money where my mouth is, or something. <laughs> Whoa. Oh. You should put. <laughs> Imagine a certain body part where your mouth that is. is. Right, yeah. Kind of stop idealizing that. Well, I'm not saying I'm idealizing it, Lindsay. I mean, Do you want it, balls in your mouth? No, I okay. mean. <laughs> next subject. <laughs> I guess that is what it comes down to. I really think that is the divider. Where, like, the it's balls actually, in your mouth? No, it's, it's actually putting your face in someone's genitalia where you figure out if you're really, if you really can, yeah. are attracted to a sex. I remember having sex with my friend who had never had sex with a woman before back in the day. And I remember her saying to me, yeah, you're definitely a lesbian because my face was in her genitalia. And I was like happy as a little clam. (laughs) I mean, this this is really personal, but I I was. I was like happy as a little clam. And she's like, whoa, you really are gay. And I was like, yep. 
I really am. <laughs> I think cunnilingus is like my favorite thing. My fave. Yes. Totally different than balls in your mouth. Whoa. <laughs> Not my fave. Anyway, the enjoyment and objectification. Yeah. Of self-care and coping. coping. Right. Well, enjoyment objectification, that was... Um, that guy brought up. Yeah. No. He did. He did bring that up. Where he, where, you know, I think everybody... Well, you know, here's one of the things. I think he was in a... He might have that component, and I think it was exacerbated by coming off of a bad breakup. Where yes. he needed to... He really was feeling like his internal reserves of of self-esteem or like really low. And so he was really seeking external validation from other people thinking that he was hot, but he did not feel like he wanted to emotionally or physically make himself vulnerable enough to fuck anybody. He just wanted to get that validation that he was attractive and desirable because he was coming off of that breakup, which everyone I feel like has been in that space before. And we all kind of, you said, what was your term? Enjoyment of justification? Yeah, yeah that term comes... So um, explain yeah. what the term comes from. So when I was in college, I I was part of a feminist research um, team, and we did... I was on it for two years, and we did a whole bunch of studies relating to... Um, most of it feminism, some of it about sexual orientation and things related to, like, women's studies. And one of the things that we came up with was this. We actually created a small um, test measure that we used in, like, one study um, called Enjoyment of, Je- of Objectification, where people really um, feeling empowered, um, feeling um, really connected to their, almost, like, more connected to their, like, to their selves as, like, their gender, like, feeling very, like, as stronger this was most of what we did was about women so i mean this was a we most of the all these studies were mostly done with women participants but they felt really like almost the most as the most female that they could feel when they were being like where they had this male gaze and they were being objectified in some way and they were like it was like they got power off of that They felt like the most powerful and in control of themselves when they were being objectified by people, which is really, really, I mean, it's like one of those things that's super weird if you think about it, because objectification is a disempowering, you know, very, you know, it, it has all these oppressive things into it. It's, I mean, there's all this, like, sort of very negative things that objectification generally beholds, but these women, at least related the experience of feeling empowered. And we were very curious as to whether or not this was a real empowerment or it was just some kind of strange thing that was sort of happening to keep women, to kind of keep the whole system going. Whereas, like, this whole idea of being objectified where if if people are getting off, if women are feeling empowered by it, well, then they're going to kind of keep it going. And the sort of more negative, the sort of instant gratification of this power, it's sort of overtaking the, like, the kind of more long-term effects of the fact of this whole system of objectification is actually causing, like, systemic, like, gender inequality, but you get this sort of internal little rush of the kind of objectification in the moment, and it kind of balances out. Which is yeah. further interesting in the fact that this was a gay male. Yes, yes, our, our particular, no, he's a pansexual male. Pansexual. Yes, pansexual. Otherwise known as a twank? Well, yeah, he was, he was, you know... But, I mean, I don't know. We didn't ask about his sexual romantic history, so we can't really say. I mean, we're just we're just going off the fact that he was literally wearing, like, 
no clothes and was covered in glitter, which and would otherwise resemble a twink. Right. In, in terms of in his, glitter. in terms of his, um, his yes, he first he, impression. First impression was that's very true. Moving on. Moving <laughs> on. <laughs> coping. Told, we we're supposed to talk I about coping, told, right? Oh yeah, we are. Yeah. Well, and the enjoyment of objectification, oh, yes. first night stands, one night stands, second night stands. But you feel like they're an, they're a similar... Yes. A more like kind of... They're easier. Well, it's like instead of getting off... It's like, it's kind of like the, the strongest rep- manifestation of that. Mm-hmm. Of like, of getting off on being objectified mm-hmm. without... Yes. Okay. Yeah. It goes with instant gratification. Mm-hmm. And then the power of now versus, like, there's this idea of living in the moment. And, like, a lot of times what got me into first night and second night stance was living in the moment, not thinking of the repercussions or consequences right. of one's actions and how seeking connection through another entity may make you feel temporarily better, but in the long run actually makes you feel more alone. It's getting kind of deep, but... I mean, obviously, that that guy was experiencing some yes, of that, that's and true. I believe that the the place we were at at that time was that a dog? <laughs> no, I think it was Claire sneezing. My roommate, oh. I think so. Or <laughs> I won't tell her you said that. Hopefully, she won't listen. We'll edit this part out, Claire. Um, no one will know. <laughs> so I think that. <laughs> I know, I agree with, I agree that, that he was obviously going through that. A nymph. A nymph. He is a nymph. He, you cannot see him right now, but he is spattered with glitter. He is beautiful. And he is a nymph. What inspired you for this costume, nymph? What inspired me? Yes. The sexual interpretation of uh, civilization. Have you seen Where the World Mine? Yes, I have. (laughs) Yay! It is a great movie. You should check out Paris is Burning. Paris is Burning. I know that one. It's an amazing documentary. It is. It really it's very is. amazing. I know exactly what you're talking about. I haven't about. seen it. What is... Can, Paris, could you give me a really good... Yeah, you give her a synopsis of that. Huh? Paris is burning? What's that? So Megan can know. Yeah. What is it about? <laughs> um, 19- it's act. Go ahead. Basic way to explain it. 1980s aspect as to... Um, the underground feeling. Is that where you got the inspiration for this costume? Actually, to be honest, I tied two scarves together and they like tied it around my body. I was like, that works. And you didn't want to spend money on a costume and you were like, hey girl, look at me. <laughs> Pretty much, I was like, fuck it, whatever. It's blow pony. No one gives a shit anymore. No one does give a shit because you know what? We're perpetually performing something, right? That's what gender is. That's what everything is. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. All the way up the street. Deep space. This is like yeah. But he's full of glitter and he's like, hey girl, hey. 
your tattoo. I just wore it because my ex-boyfriend was really jealous about what I was wearing. And he was like, that's too viewing, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, fuck you. I'm going to get laid tonight. Yeah. So. Okay. So you probably, like your you probably, huh? so your goal is to get laid tonight. Um, actually, it's to turn on as many people as possible. That's awesome. You don't even have to get them laid. You just have to turn them on, right? Exactly, because I have no, I like, I have no intention to go home with anyone tonight. But I plan on saying no to a lot of people. That's <laughs> really amazing. And that topping from the bottom. We talked about that a little bit yeah. in our interviews. Yeah. Uh-huh. Which has to do kind of with instant gratification. If you're with someone that has maybe stopped drinking and is no longer fun. <laughs> And may or may not stop to do the dishes in, in an intimate moment. You should probably piece them out of your life. And this is just um, this is a public service announcement from Lindsay. <laughs> Instant gratification doesn't count as a gratification if you don't get off. That's true. So fuck yeah. that shit. Yeah, there's no gratification. Like, I'm sorry, but like, if someone treats you not that great, this is not the ideal situation to be in. It really isn't. But I actually wrote a song called At Least I Got Off. <laughs> and, and the thing about it is, is if you get off, like, true, you shouldn't be treated like shit. But you should at least and get true, off. true, you shouldn't. I mean, there's certain things with it nobody should have to deal with, but if you get off, maybe there's a little leeway about it, you know? Maybe what if, if what it, if you can't get off, though? Then fuck that. <laughs> you don't... What if you, you're unable to orgasm with a partner? Then you, <laughs> if you're you unable to orgasm with a partner, then that partner better be, be making it up in other ways. Okay. Even, not like it's your fault, but... I'm just saying, like, if it's really good and, like, it's fun and you get off, then you can kind of um, excuse certain behaviors that maybe you wouldn't before. But if you don't get off, then they better be making it up in other ways. But do you think the phrase, just the phrase, do you think when you say get off that it only refers to having an orgasm? Do you think that you could have a really amazing sexual experience without an orgasm because there's a lot of people I think that, that you, are physically incapable of orgasming like I mean and I'm, I'm not I mean you're giving me a face but like let's what about people that have certain physical disabilities that are like that you know are like you know that are unable to maybe orgasm right. without or like have their, their physical experience of orgasm is not the same well then like what I think that you know that their their experience of sexual getting off, like I think getting off is a good is a good term, but I think it might not necessarily always mean orgasm. I think it might just well, mean it does being for me. sexually satisfied with a particular sexual no. experience. Orgasm is what it means for me. But I just think that's a really interesting phenomenon in the sense of the idea of getting off. And yeah, you're right. You bring up an interesting point. Like, is it the is it the mind over matter? I happen to think that for me, mm-hmm. no, it's a very physical thing. For me, I'm not saying that it's like that for everyone else, but uh, that's yeah, that's what I mean when I say get off. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, I mean I respect if other people identify in in other ways, but no, I think getting off is. And when I and I do say that to myself, and that is why I have been involved with the people I've been involved with because I said to myself, at least I got off. Right. And I sound like a total lush, and I sound like I just, I'm just ready for that to be, and I am, I'm ready for that to happen, and I am 
willing to kind of, I'm kind of a taker in that way. Um, an orgasm stealer. But you know what? No, <laughs> Steal I'm not orgasm, an orgasm stealer. Thief. I'm a toilet paper stealer. You're I the totally, orgasm thief. I totally stole two rolls of <laughs> Because I can't afford any toilet paper because I'm a social worker. And uh, <laughs> I have to steal toilet paper from bars that I can't afford the liquor for. What, you stole, what, you stole toilet paper from yeah. the bar you were just at? Oh, hell yes, Wait, I did. out of a, a sidebar, were you just in the bathroom that was closest to the? Did you see what was in here? Did you see the wall painting on the one that was farthest away? I took a photo of it. The naked woman? No, not the naked woman. It was. It was like I know the one that you were in was naked women, but it's really funny because the one that was that's not is like exactly the opposite of naked women. A cat? <laughs> it's a cat, like free falling. Like, it, it's, like, literally takes up the entire wall. It's a gigantic picture of a cat being, like, a kitten with blue eyes. Well, I took the toilet paper because I can't afford it, TJ's. I can't afford it. Or grocery outlet. <laughs> okay, power of now. Topping from the bottom. Okay. We have a quote. We talked about topping from the bottom. Here it is. Next subject. Well, can I can I um say one thing about that idea? Yeah. Okay. So, my thoughts about the power of now and instant gratification are that I think it seems like people, I, that there's a balance, that everyone is trying to find a balance between having, um, not letting, you know, fear of eventual possibilities get in the way of fully being present in the moments of your life, but also, also being aware of the consequences of what you're doing and therefore making responsible choices to yourself and the people that you are connecting with and interacting with. And... I would say that most people are either coming from one direction or the other, whether either they just don't think about anything or they're really, really almost paralyzed by thinking about the consequences. And I come from the side of, of like overthinking everything where I like almost like I need to like make more stupid choices or like just be like, fuck it, whatever, I'm just going to do it. And like I don't do that, I think, often enough. And I think frequently I don't really... You don't make stupid decisions often enough? I should make more... Yes, that's what I'm saying. I should I should make some dumb decisions more often, but really, like, are just decisions that are... Because I think one of the interesting things about... about Here comes... Comes, comes the weekend! example, my counselors said that to me, I meant that I read too much into things, that I'm over-analytical, etc., that I always expect the worst, and yet, my intuition is little voice in telling, telling me that I am repeatedly drawing these emotional vampires to me, or I have a funny feeling about something, and um, it ends up being, like, seriously, nine times out of ten, it ends up being true, and I I don't know where you were going with this. I'm just talking about like how it relates to instant gratification. Do I you just, feel like you're? It allows. Yeah, like I kind of seek things, things that I know that are going to be bad for you. Fuck yes, I think that I totally do that when I'm in a self-destructive place or when I'm alone. Like ultimately, we're all trying to cope, and one of the things that we do to cope is it's like fine, life. I'm going to feel pain, but guess what, life. 
If I'm going to feel fucking pain, I'm going to choose what that pain is, right? Isn't that really what healing Free and coping will. is? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that what it really yeah. is about? Like, I want some choice in the matter. If you're going to make me suffer, I want to say what that is. And if that includes instant gratification in this moment, I know it's going to be painful later, which is half the reason that this moment feels so good right now, then so be it. Yeah. Which brings us into... Love versus rationality. Yeah. And one of the guys we said we were talking to most of the night actually. We the found nymph. out yes. yeah. We found out that he was really there because he had experienced the loss like recently. And mm-hmm. I think that's the experience of a lot of people that go out and get drunk to kind of try to deal with their losses. Yeah. And and that he yeah, it seemed like he was really struggling with how to cope with that, you know. And I'm only bringing this up because I have been there. Oh, yeah. Well, yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all have been there, and I think that's the point, is I think a lot of people, that girl, that woman earlier on talking about queer culture had mentioned that, you know, her friend was in, a, in an emotional space, and I think a queer space with lots of alcohol, with lots of self-destruction, with lots of one-night stands where random people are making out with each other in a corner. Megan! (laughs) May or may not bring up certain issues that exist upon people. And that there is really this idea of love versus rationality. And it's really interesting because I'm a very heart person and Megan is a very head person. I am. And we grew up in very similar environments, and yet we re- react to these situations in those ways. We developed, I think, very different coping strategies to deal with similar such similar home lives. Yeah. Yeah. And so the idea that there is this idea of, like, in your heart chakra, your heart chakra being open, your heart chakra understanding the bigger picture, not being identified in your ego – Being identified with your intuition as opposed to your solar plexus, which is very, like, psychoanalytical and kind of expecting the worst. And how you balance those two so that you're not in this space of being totally open and vulnerable to whatever and being walked all over on, which is the place I tend to be at. But you're not in this place of, like, complete panic, worry, and over-analytical everything either. Mm -hmm. One thing um, I would recommend to everybody listening is to read this really cool book called All About Love. I think that's what it's called. If it's not, we will edit the real title into the podcast later. (laughs) But basically, it's this really cool book about um, that where this person talks about has like pulls from like scientific research about the human brain and feelings and things and really makes a really good case for like what love does and how what kind of well yeah like it basically it really it kind of breaks it down to a really like a like a um, a neuropsychology sort of thing we're talking about the brain's actual physical formation and the functionality of all the different parts of our brain and how how love how love kind of like looks on a very basic level and what things about your brain and how it actually transmits into feeling and it really it's a really cool it's a really cool book it, i mean it, me as lindsay said coming from a very head place i find a lot of comfort in in knowing what my brain is doing <laughs> like and it, i just want to add to yeah. that i do i think yeah. that the brain it's very useful in terms of mindfulness to know the chemistry of the brain and <laughs> wow 
Uh, right. Have you ever been in love? Yeah. Was that recently? No, actually, um, I was engaged for about a year or so, and then that broke off, and to be honest, after that, I've been kind of running in a haze, partying, dancing, blah, 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 like, trying to get over it, but at the same time, I still think about it. Do you feel like, they say, listen to this, they say that when you're in love, you lack access to your frontal lobe, which is the ability to do time management, it's the ability to budget, it's the ability to think logically. Do you think that when you were in love, you lacked access to that part of your brain? Yeah. I know. Completely. Actually. Because you're constantly trying to make please. something logical. Yeah, and constantly trying to please somebody. And you lose track of your own self-care, your own beautiful being. To be honest, my ex-fiance and I were down. Okay. I wouldn't ever be a bullet pony. Yeah. I'd be at home, I'd be completely pleased, I can be completely happy with that one person, but um... But it didn't work out! It didn't. And you know what, sometimes we're not compatible with people and that's the way it goes. It wasn't that I wasn't compatible with them, it was just the fact that like... We're on different crossroads, you know? Yeah, time! My path goes somewhere different than his. And you know what? That's the way it goes sometimes. Exactly. But you are so beautiful, and I hope you have a lovely night, and I hope you get laid. I don't want to get laid. I just want to be proven that I can be laid. You can be laid, because I'm a lesbian, and I play you, but I'm not I know that I find that I think it's one of the things about relationships is it. I think that it is very, there's, I mean, I find them to be very scary. They're kind of freaky. They freak me out. That's why we have the Jaws <laughs> intro in the front of our... Yeah, it's true. Nah, nah, nah. Yeah, nah, I mean, nah. they're kind of scary. I mean, you're 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 letting yourself be emotionally vulnerable. You have feelings for people. They can they can take those feelings and do what they want with them. And you know, you have no control necessarily over how someone that you love feels about Pressure. you. That's how diamonds dum, are dum, made. Dum, 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 dum. That was yeah. a quote by Jim Carroll. Oh, yeah, and I mean, I think it is. But one of the things about black and white relationships is that they do offer a kind of security where, like, at least you, like, it kind of offers this false sense of, of expectation where you're like, you're like, well, I'm in this situation, so I know what to expect. I know, I know, generally speaking, what, what, what we're going to be doing, the level of our emotional, mental, and physical connection, how we're going to talk to each other. People will will, like, understand our situation and we won't have to explain it all the time. That's one of the interesting things about, I think, the queer label is that it's cool because it's so it's so much more open than saying lesbian. But at the same time, it does require a certain amount of... Our people tend to ask for a certain... Oh, my kid, you're so scary. Um, people tend to ask for a certain amount of, um, of kind of... You have to kind of follow up. You're like, I, I, I take on the queer label, but this is how I personally feel like it relates to me. And so every person's... But when you say you're a lesbian, people don't generally ask you, oh, how are you a lesbian? People are just like, oh, you're a lesbian. So I, I, I generally have these assumptions about you because this label is much more narrow. And I think when you say you're in a relationship, people are like, oh, yeah, like oh, this is my girlfriend, this is my partner. People know what that is, and they don't tend to ask you about it. Mm -hmm. But when you say you're in a, oh, we're not, then people are like, 
I don't know, I don't know how to, it, like, it's not just, like, you're in a gray area, but it puts other people in a gray area. But I also think people that, ex- I think that sometimes people excuse their own selfish intentions of sleeping with whoever they want with the idea of let's not call this a relationship. Are you mean the noble, like the noble poly- polyamorist? Yeah. <laughs> Just <laughs> Which saying. Which are noble. They're all noble polyamorists. Yeah, and I may everything. or may not be one of them. I haven't figured <laughs> it out yet. But uh, when I do, I'll let you know. But there is, there. I think there are people, it's like anything where people, well, it's like anything allows a certain amount of fucked up people to take advantage of mm-hmm. it, you know? Everything. There's always a room for people to take advantage of people that are Trying to honestly... Like emotional vampires that will take advantage of tender hearts. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> right. Like those people. Um, but, you know, like, I'm trying to think. I, But I, you know what? I've, I, that's something that I've struggled with. Like, can... How much of a gray area... It's, it takes a lot of courage to, like, actively live in a gray area. And to not... not I think it does. I mean, Lindsay's laughing at me. She is. But I'm just saying that I think... Thing. I think that it does take some courage. You should like, probably go to the Florida room and find someone to make out with tonight. You should just walk there. Lindsay, yeah, whatever. I'm just being an instigator right now. <laughs> well, you know, do you know what I only make out with? Literally, when I make out, I, this is what I was th- I was thinking about this. Whenever Lindsay and I hang out, I end up making she out She only <laughs> makes out around me. <laughs> but you know what? The only reason is I think you were the main person I go out to queer events with. And that's why. is because I don't really go out to queer events with a lot of other people. And so I think it's just a correlation, not a causation, but maybe or maybe not. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, we're not really sure. But anyway, um, so a couple of shout outs. Um, I mispronounced the last person's name. Tristan Toromino was her name of Sex Out Loud. Oh, yeah. 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 Tristan. She's right. And do you know about her? Yeah. Oh. Her podcast is really cool. Did you know that? Yes. Oh, you've listened to it? Uh Okay. Yeah. And then I sent a shout out to Smith and Kitten because I used to live in Minneapolis and they were so awesome. They like tried on harnesses and dildos with me and it was really awesome. And I just want to send them a shout out too because they're really cool. And in Portland, she bop, although I haven't gone because I got a $90 parking ticket and couldn't afford the dildo I want. And I'm scared (laughs) of going into the store because I'm scared of spending money that I don't have on a dildo. But guess what? This new month is going to be all about self-love and self-care and I'm going to buy a dildo from there and that's the end of our podcast I don't think we really have a lot else I hope that everybody is having yeah, a wonderful and thanks for following us on Twitter and yeah our Twitter feed um if there's any confusion for any reason um <laughs> like maybe Not- that our flyers <laughs> had the wrong name I don't know maybe like, something like that that happened you know you happened to pick up a flyer with a weird it's wrong just Twitter information. Yep, yeah, right. It's just <laughs> at queer podcast PDX. So at Q U E E R P O D C A S T PDX. And if you have any questions, you can email us at things not to say on a first date at gmail.com. It's that simple. Uh, we'd love to hear from you or not, whatever. The choice um, is yours. The choice is yours because the price is right. And, then we're and gonna, we all have free will. We hope that you all have lovely uh, life and all that jazz. We're gonna and we'll talk to you later. We're going to sign off. Bye. Oh, there's the microphone. A little bit different. Oh.
Here's the thing, it's like, it's just another way of explaining the universe.